on ABC Grandstand Digital. This is more than just a game. Uh, yes, welcome to More Than Just a Game, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here. Joining me today, we have none other than Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. G'day, Roachie. And uh, coming in from the South Bank end is Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. How are you? G'day, Paul. G'day, Simon. G'day, all. Looking forward to hearing the results of Riley's research, More Than Just a Game research over in Croatia recently. More on that later. Uh, Gilly himself is doing some More Than Just a Game research in some far-flung land it's too hard to keep up with that, lad. So. Macau, I believe. Macau, yeah. wow. Tough travel. Is it Macau Grand Prix time? Um, look, on the show ahead of us, we'll be looking at an interesting development in betting advertising in Europe and also talking to one of the leading global gaming lawyers about the situation in Australia. We'll also delve into why Ronaldo has caused a strike at a car factory, uh, plus the deep impact of another sports star's move, that being LeBron James. We'll, uh, we'll introduce you to Major League Eating, that's right, and of course, round it out with Red Card, Yellow Card. You can get in touch with us via Twitter at MTJAG Grandstand. Subscribe to the show via iTunes, but for now, let's get into the next edition of More Than Just a Game. More Than Just a Game on ABC Grandstand Digital. Could gambling be the new smoking? Which much, with much of the Western world now effectively banning smoking advertising, it seems that gambling could be the next vice in the crosshairs. That's if the example in Italy is anything to go by, because from the 1st of January next year, 2019, TV, radio and internet promotions of gambling will all be halted. Now, uh, football clubs and other sports teams will also be barred from having having gambling sponsors, in effect. They're allowed to continue existing arrangements, but uh, will be barred from taking on new. Uh, So more than half of the Serie A clubs have gaming companies as sponsors. So there's plenty of... uh, Plenty of to do about that. So um, joining us to discuss this development and explore whether it could happen here in Australia is Jamie Nettleton, partner at law firm Addison's and also the president of the International Masters of Gaming Law. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Now, Jamie, let's start off. Can you explain a little bit more about the work of the International Masters of Gaming Law and perhaps how, how that work might intersect with the sports industry? Sure. Look, um, the... Um IMGL, or International Masters of Gaming Law, is a group of the leading gambling lawyers globally, and it engages on behalf of its clients with regulators at the forefront of gambling regulation, both in Australia and throughout the world. And uh, one of the key areas is in connection with the regulation of sports betting. And Jamie, as uh, Rochi mentioned just at the outset, big news overseas in the past month or so with Italy announcing a potential ban of sports gambling advertising. Interested in your thoughts as to how that compares to the Australian situation. What is the law in Australia at the moment and, and do you see this as being a, being a potential outcome in Australia? Well, the, every country needs to be looked at uh, differently and uh, you, know, you can look at Italy and say, well, why can't it be the same here? And the short answer is because Australia is different. Why is Australia different? Well, we've got uh, a traditional history of involvement of gambling and uh, sport, particularly in racing, which makes any form of prohibition in respect of gambling advertising particularly complicated uh, to implement. And like Italy, it will give rise to a lot of potential challenges as to whether that law is also valid. Jamie, who's driving this? Is it the government or is it lobby groups? Uh, this is the government. The government uh, has taken the view that um, 
that there's too much advertising. Uh, it's essentially harmful, uh, and that's uh, perceived to be one of the, the harmful side effects of uh, gambling. And the best way to approach it is essentially stop all gambling advertising. Yeah, I think uh, Italy's had a change of, of, of political leaders fairly recently, and they've, that's sort of, sort of one of the agendas they've had is a family-first kind of approach or some such. I'm not sure exactly the terminology, but that's the... Uh, the mandate, I suppose, they're leaning on to, to do what they're doing. So, Jamie, given that, um, how much will other countries, and you know, Australia in particular, but certainly other countries, be looking at this example? As much as every country is different, and, and uh, how much will we be, will the world be looking at Italy to see how this example transpires and is implemented? Well, a lot of people are taking notice to see whether it would work. Uh, but on the other hand, they've got to look at: uh, is this the best? Uh, approach to take. Uh, one, of the, one of the key effects that uh, is being argued by the licensed gambling sector is that uh, if you stop our ability to advertise, then essentially what's, what, why should we have a license? Why should we actually uh, continue to pay money to the state for the benefit of the license if we can't promote our services? Um, and th- if that occurs, then essentially it means that uh, people will gamble and they'll be gambling with unlicensed operators the black market, without any, any controls which are um, mandated by the state. I think that's a really good point, uh, Jamie. And one of the things or one of the criticisms that might be put in Australia if there was further regulation is this is, is, this is a further example of the nanny state. Um, but I suppose that there needs to be a, a balance between looking after the interests of the vulnerable, so kids and um, you know people who are affected by gambling addictions, um, and to ensure the appropriate level of regulation. Do you think that um, in Australia we've got that balance right? Well, I, I think the, um, the licensed gambling sector is, um, has exactly the same views. It's appropriate that the vulnerable are protected and that uh, they work with the states to ensure that the appropriate controls are in place. The difficulty is that there are always arguments that the controls are not sufficient and that there should be much broader controls, and that's the uh, approach that Italy has taken. Do the, do the sports, what do the sports feel about this? You know, I know we've had the Syria Arts clubs say that they've got a lot of money invested this way. It's going to make a huge change to their business model. But are there other stats that are related here in terms of participation rates or TV ratings? How does, how, I'm just thinking holistically, what's the difference make when, if gambling gets taken out of the equation? Well, well in order to answer that question, you need to actually look at the relevant sport. If we, and the first point to mention is if you take racing as a sport, uh, essentially the uh, relationship between racing and gambling is uh, long-standing, is historic, and in one sense there's interdependence. And if you essentially stop the ability to advertise any form of gambling in connection with racing, it's going to have dramatic effects in respect of uh, the ability of racing to continue to operate in the same manner. Mm. Um, uh, but in respect of sports, there might be other arguments which are put. But uh, certainly in Italy, again, I think you need to look at this position there in respect of a lot of the sponsors, as you've mentioned beforehand. They are very much reliant on those sponsors for a key part of their funding. Uh, it may not be quite as dependent in Australia, but it's certainly there is a very close relationship uh, between a lot of the sports uh, bodies and essentially the fees which they're paid by uh, the gambling operators in order to take bets on their sport. It's an interesting one, this one, because unlike unlike smoking, where I think you know it was broadly agreed that it's a health hazard and there was no real social social utility, um, 
gambling, well, whilst arguably little social utility, there is merit in a sport, or that there is an argument that there is merit in a sport keeping gambling close. They actually want to have a relationship with the gambling organisations in order to, to be across potential fraud. What's the word I'm looking for? You know, the, uh, with, you know fraud in betting and so forth. Yeah, look, and, and, and you're right, it's in respect of the integrity. A lot of the uh, information which is um, uh, obtained by sports to maintain the integrity essentially comes from the gambling operators insofar as there's any uh, a potential hint of some form of fraud or integrity risk within a sport, and this has certainly happened in the past in Australia, a lot of that information comes from the licensed gambling operators. There's no doubt it's big dollars at the moment, Jamie. We read recently that um, over in the US, a, uh, a company by the name of Sports Radar had a, a stake sold in it. This is a US sports gaming mm-hmm. entity and sports gambling actually valued that company at $2.4 billion. So you're seeing, um, how do you see the sports um, gambling market in Australia at the moment? Well, uh, Australia is uh, also, um, it's a very mature market. And uh, you know there is you know, considerable value uh, applied to some of the operators here. We've seen the recent merger of uh, uh, the Tabcorp and TATS, which was um, you know, some billions of dollars. So those figures are not unusual. But again, I think you need to look at the U.S. and it's uh, perhaps very relevant to what we're discussing here. Mm. The U.S. has just had a uh, Supreme Court decision, their highest court, essentially uh, liberalizing sports betting. And uh, in the U.S., where sports betting has been you know, controlled to a considerable degree and prohibited in respect of uh, uh, any betting across states to a great extent. It's now being liberalised and uh, all the states there are starting to liberalise uh, sports betting to a considerable degree. So the value of the entities are going to go, uh, continue to increase. Just uh, playing the value game again, just the other side, how important is it to a gambling company to be the official gambling service provider to a sport? Does mm. it make a big difference to their their, their business model? Look, uh, I, that, that sort of um, branding is very helpful. Helpful gives them some degree of uh, recognition, uh, some degree of integrity, like as, uh, as they are perceived to be the um, you know, official betting partner. But it's, a, again, a little complex in Australia because of the arrangement under which... Uh, all the licensed betting operators in Australia pay product fees to mm. all of the main sports. And by that, they are a betting partner and they're recognised as such on the websites. Uh, but some are major sponsors in respect of, say, the NRL, for, uh, for example. Mm. Well, we've got Italy at the cutting edge. We've got the US catching up with the rest of the Western world. And we've got a nice mature market here in Australia. It's an interesting situation we've got, we've got in front of us, Jamie. Uh, look, it, it is, and uh, one thing is sure, it's going to, they're going to continue to be developments such as that in Italy, and it's going to be questioned whether it's relevant in Australia, but uh, one thing is absolutely the case in Australia, and that is we're going to uh, continue to see regulatory developments. We're going to see calls for uh, whether or not there is sufficient uh, protection. On the other hand, uh, there's going to be a recognition that uh, perhaps there does need to be a licensed sector, and that needs to be... Uh, supported to ensure that it's for the benefit of the uh, Australian punters. Terrific. All right, Jamie, really appreciate you joining us on More Than Just a Game. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. All right, so uh, 
Jamie Nettleton there from uh, Addison's and also the president of the International Masters of Gaming Law. So interesting times ahead of us there for, uh, in the Australian market. Uh, John, interesting, interesting thoughts Indeed. there. Yeah, we'll have to uh, have a few wages, see how it all Different Just fascinating. Just fascinating. Absolutely amazing. I don't know where this goes. All right. Well, stay tuned. We'll find out uh, the years to come. But it is very interesting with the US just catching up. I think that's really amusing. And, uh, Johnny, you made a really good point about the, uh, the sports data companies over there and how suddenly they are worth big, big money. So it's, it'll be something we'll certainly keep watching here on the show. More than just a game on ABC Grandstand Digital. So there's a few interesting matters arising in football. Now, I don't know about you, but we were pretty surprised to learn that the Socceroos, for all their lack of success at the World Cup, were one of the highest paid teams there. Now, not by FIFA, but by the FFA. Now, it's understood that each member of the 23-player squad earned anywhere from 120 grand to 370 grand, and that maximum has actually doubled roughly since the last tournament. Now, each of the 32 qualifying countries receives around about 12 million Aussie from FIFA, uh, but that, that's a participation award if that increases significantly as you progress through the tournament. And then it's then up to the federation to decide how the money is allocated. Well, the Aussies are good at winning participation awards <laughs> at the World Cup, and that's about it. That's all we've got so far. But I, I thought it was interesting. So um, the Poms, if they'd got knocked out at the group stage, they would have got nothing by all reports. Really? Yeah, so I read. And the, the Spaniards, I think, got a fair bit less than the the Aussies. And, um, you know, they obviously did, did reasonably well. Yeah. yeah. I, I hope the Socceroos are sending a thank you letter to all of the players' associations in cricket and the AFL and mm. the rugby league mm. who have insisted that players get a significant percentage of prize money because that, that's just ridiculous. And, and you did say that the highest amount, I think, was $370,000. What Supposedly. is the bet that Timmy Carl was on? <laughs> he got the $370,000. How many, how many minutes did he play? You get about $10,000 a no, $100,000 a minute. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> He's doing all right. <laughs> Look, still on the World Cup, just before we leave it, uh, of course, Riles, we let you head over. We, we rattled the tin, got some coin together and let, <laughs> let you head over to Italy, to, to, or to Europe, I should say, to do a bit of research for us and managed to be, well, in Italy, but also particularly Croatia during the course of the World Cup. How good was that? Take us yep. through the experience. The, our man on the ground in Croatia, Stephen Riley. Yeah, it was so good. I was there for the quarterfinals and the semifinals, mm. and Croatia went nuts. So two two big observations to make about uh, being in Croatia when they, they won through to the final of the World Cup. The first one is that if you were on a ship that was sinking somewhere <laughs> around Croatia, you went down without anybody too, noticing because all the flares disappeared <laughs> oh. when they were fired into the air oh, in yeah. celebration. There were flares everywhere. It was just a phenomenal atmosphere, and I, and I think that's the second insight, which is this is the equivalent of Melbourne making the final of the World Cup. There's 4 million people <laughs> in Croatia. Anyone who's any good plays their football elsewhere, and they have come together, made it work. I, 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 I'm fascinated to know what their payment scheme was, but they have just in um, – what's the word? They, they have entranced a nation and lifted them, and honestly, everyone – in that country was on cloud nine uh, through the tournament. It was just amazing. So were you still there when the final was played or you'd left at no, that stage? No, I was, just in, saw I, was, the semis. I was I was in Italy. And it really, there's a little interesting juxtaposition because Italy, who love their football, <laughs> really couldn't care less about the World <laughs> Cup because they weren't in it. <laughs> and some mortal enemies such as neighbouring Croatia and neighbouring France and you know, so forth were the... <laughs> no, I think France's success was another reason not to be interested. Absolutely. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, good stuff. All right, we'll, uh, we'll we'll be sure to send you off on research for the next World Cup, Steve. Was... Maybe a chook raffle next time. Just send him somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Very to good. Qatar. Very good job. Qatar. <laughs> yeah, 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 He'll that, be unavailable for that's that. That's the booby prize. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Actually, the, before we leave that, the uh, the I read an interesting quote in uh, I think it was yeah, the New York Times. There, they had a journal in the at, at the World Cup, and he or she was talking about the vibe, I suppose, in in Russia. And how you couldn't necessarily rely on the jerseys of the spectators too much because he was struck by, he or she was struck by, amongst other things, the number of Croatian jersey-wearing spectators actually had Aussie accents. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, I can tell you, my, my daughter now has a Croatian jersey, so add another Australian to that list. Hawthorne, Hawthorne, Hawthorne fan, <laughs> Croatian, Croatian jersey. un-Australian. Get him back to Sydney. Uh, <laughs> Now, during the course of the World Cup, Christian, Christian, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo was announced as heading to Juventus. Uh, signed a four-year contract worth apparently about fifty million US a year. In addition to that annual salary, uh, Juve paid uh, Real Madrid, Ronaldo's former club, a transfer fee, which is about one hundred and forty mil. Again, still US. So there's a lot of money sloshing around there. Apparently, he actually took a pay cut to make the move. Um, but what's interesting from sort of the business perspective is that, so Juventus is publicly listed and its shares went up 42% across the week from the time that it was sort of rumoured. There was a fair bit of speculation coming during the World Cup to the time it was announced. So it's certainly on financial markets took it as a, a fairly positive move. Indeed. There was also um, a bit of a strike, I think, that um, came into play. So um, Fiat's workers went on strike to actually protest Ronaldo's move. So Fiat, you'd be a big fan of the Fiat brand, Rochi, uh, given well, that it's it also owns the Ferrari, Ferrari, yeah, Ferrari exactly. um, yeah. in its stable. Yep. It's actually thirty percent owned by the Agnelli family, and the Agnelli family owns sixty three percent of Juventus. So these poor old Fiat workers who've been taking pay cuts, mm-hmm. who are complaining about the conditions of their employment, austerity, from day to day, austerity, lots of austerity measures, according to the um, Agnelli family. Um, they weren't so happy that all of this, uh, all of these euros were being splashed to to get Cristiano on board. But my spies tell me, mm. of the seventeen hundred workers, <laughs> only five of them went on strike. <laughs> so it wasn't wasn't a particularly well attended one. Well, I think there's a big picture here, right? I mean, we look at the World Cup and Croatia does well; they sell a lot of jerseys. Yeah, Ronaldo joins Juventus, and sure enough, I'm sure they are going to sell a lot of Juventus jerseys. But imagine how the sales of Fiat are going to go up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, dear, we, we had an interesting little, as much as Gilly hasn't, wasn't able to, isn't able to join us this show, he, uh, he phoned in a little uh, contribution saying that uh, Juventus is so loved because, John, help me out here, it's because so many of the, the workers leave. Yeah, it's more popular outside of Turin than in Turin. So uh, Torino has always been regarded mm-hmm. as the true club mm-hmm. of the people. Um, but it's because Fiat employees from the provinces would return to the provinces when they retired and they would take with them oh, yeah. a love of Juventus. Um, so for years, apparently, Juventus played to half-empty stadiums in Turin, but they'd always be sold out um, outside of away. Turin. Yeah, and those games were more uh, like derbies than away fixtures. There you go. A little fun fact for you. Thanks, Ben. And it, yeah, exactly. And there was a lot of controversy only a couple of years ago when uh, Juventus changed its logo from, you know, it had the same logo for a thousand years. 
So it's, uh, I suppose, like a lot of big soccer football clubs, there was a lot of passion about it. A lot of passion. So and they're just, Italians. So just more know. change. It all, all adds well, up. Yeah, they also ju- sold a million more new jerseys, right? Because you've got to be up to date. So well, <clears throat> look, speaking of, we'll, we'll come back to that point a little bit later with the basketball perspective, but still sticking with, uh, with the football. If you thought it was competitive on the pitch uh, for the World Cup, the uh, thing about the head offices of the various competing sports apparel companies. Uh, so Nike sponsored... Fran- amongst others, France, England, and Croatia, while Adidas had Belgium. Uh, and unfortunately, um, Puma, I think, had Uruguay. Yeah, that's right. There was a few losers. So Nike was clearly uh, the winner there. Well, Adidas always do Germany, right? That's their, That's where they're from. The German that's, company. Yeah, their shares fell 2.7% after they got knocked out. And actually, speaking of trading, and I thought we weren't going to talk much more about the World Cup, but here we go still. Um, on the share trading, I read, <laughs> I read somewhere that trading volumes, it, it's, it had been shown during this World Cup that, that trading volumes on a stock exchange, on a given country's stock exchange, can drop as much as 15% on the day that that country plays a World Cup game. Is that right? Yep. And it would be remiss of me, Rochi, as a final note to the World Cup, mm. not to mention our World Cup tipping contest, ah. which has been running <laughs> since 1990. We, we mentioned mm. it on the uh, the show last time round. Congratulations, Bear. Ah. He won it two times in a row. So he had, painful. Uh, what was it, 12 goals and net, net eight or something. Unbelievable. I was, I was, Too good. I was winning well at the bad. halfway stage comfortably. I was, I was winning leading into the final uh, weekend. But last yeah, we were done by Mbappe. Oh, uh, dear. I just love saying Mbappe. Well, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> don't know who that is, Simon, but, yeah, you say it well. All right. Yeah. Or, or Girod. There's a whole other story. <laughs> Oliver Girod, Jono, ringing bells. Yeah, something like that. Another long story, folks. All right. Well, we won't talk World Cup for another three and a half years, promise. More Than Just A Game on ABC Grandstand Digital. Yes, you're on More Than Just A Game here with Simon Johnson, Stephen Riley, and myself, Paul Roach. And we're here at the shootout where we uh, cover a few topics rapid style. And uh, we're going to start with the basketball basketball information. Well, where, where do you want to start here, Jono? I reckon probably Federer. We'll start oh, with Federer. yes, I was going to talk about merchandise, but, but yeah, you, you, Federer's we'll the biggest story here. Talk apparel. Yeah. So, Riles, we I believe that uh, Roger Federer, you know, grand old man of tennis, he's just signed a 10-year sports apparel deal. Isn't he about well, to you, retire? Yeah. You were just talking about Nike versus Adidas. Well, Nike just lost the Fed to Uniqlo. That's mm. the Japanese brand some people might have seen around. And he signed a 10-year deal. You're spot on. He's 36 years old, people. Ooh. And he signed a 10-year, $300 million deal. That is extraordinary. I've heard some opinions say that, that was, that's, a, that's a lot bigger than it actually is. But irrespective, it's a big, big number. It's a big number. But I guess it's a fashion um, brand, isn't it? And the Fed's always been spectacularly well attired, I must say, as far as sports stars are concerned. And I know you're Look, a good eye for well attired sports. Bill. <laughs> Craig Foster's been on the phone at Jono saying thanks very Man, much. Adam Scott, one of my favourite golfers, he's um, he's got a deal with Uniqlo. He always looks very smart on the golf course, Rochi. Does he? Very smart. I wouldn't know. I don't watch. <laughs> I think. Look, it's it's very big, but I'm just going to flip this into a negative just for a mm. second because it supports what I've been saying for a while. The tennis, immense tennis, is dying. And if Roger Federer can get the best deal and it goes for 10 years, that tells you about the Darth of Talent underneath. You're telling me that Marin Chilik wouldn't get a similar deal? Uh-huh. <laughs> Isn't he number <laughs> three or number four? Yeah, you're probably right there, Ross. Darth or Dearth? Definitely Darth. Oh, there you yeah, go. We'll go with Darth. All right, okay, fair enough. Uh, still on the merchandise, um, alluded to LeBron James a little earlier on, so he signed up for the Lakers fairly recently. <clears throat> um, 
And it's not only made the uh, the NBA, NBA franchise itself relevant again, but it's also led to a huge uplift, and it's almost sort of instant uplift commercially. So apparently within 20 minutes of the announcement, the cheapest Lakers season ticket on StubHub rose from three and a half grand, this is US dollars obviously, to almost six grand, uh, while preseason games doubled in price. Uh, StubHub itself had a, a 7,400% increase in traffic to its Lakers ticket page on that day. Um, and indeed, um, the retailer, the merchandising retailer that's involved, had one of its top 10 sales days ever of NBA gear. Do you reckon uh, Jack Nicholson must be pretty pumped? He's always for, um, pictured on the sidelines there uh, on court. Yeah, he's got yeah, the yeah. season tickets there. I think he's their number one fan, isn't he? He must be pumped. Well, you are absolutely right because the only reason he's going there is to film movies. So Jack Nicholson, <laughs> LeBron, together, love it. Uh, now, Jono, you snuck in a bit of golf there, I noticed, but um, I was interested to note that because they're all these sort of talking of deals, merchandising deals, and people sign up to use certain certain kit. But uh, the golf major winners this year have had a really weird arrangement with respect to golf clubs. Yeah, it is. so or uh, little, lack of arrangement, more particularly. This is right. So um, golfers traditionally had sponsorship deals for all of their equipment, and they'd either, you know, T- Tiger was renowned for playing Nike golf clubs. Now, Nike got out of the golf club market uh, a couple of years ago, and they're only doing clothing these days. But I think for the first time in a long time, the first three major winners this year, so Molinari, British Open, Brooks Kepka, the US Open, and Patrick Reed at the Masters, they didn't actually have an exclusive equipment providing deal. So they all played different clubs. They had a few nightclubs, a few tightless clubs. clubs. Sorry, oh. not nightclubs, oh. a few tightless clubs. Oh. They might have had some old nightclubs from before two years ago, an old putter or something. Um, some Callaway sticks no, and um, clubs, never mind. Odyssey yeah. putters. I'm with I you got now. you, Paul. I got you, Paul. <laughs> I was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> John, I was on just such a roll. Nike. The oh, blinkers right. had come down. Yeah. But, but there you go. They, um, yeah, they're all playing different clubs, Reggie. Well, that's, that's great. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Paul is a gog. He's he astounded. He yeah, never um, thought that, he's that would a, happen. He's a, he's a Nike club man. Hey, yeah, I'm really glad I brought that up, Jono. Um, and I want to I want to uh, reintroduce the It's Not Sport, But We Like It. Anyone got anything further on uh, for the shootout before I go, It's Not Sport, But We Like It? Well, I've, I've got one that It's Not Sport, But We Like It. It's the Quidditch World Cup, Ooh. which, of course, you were all paying very close attention to. And I don't want to go into how it went or what it does or how many people watch it because I really couldn't care less. But <laughs> I do want to ask you, do you know the name of the Australian Quidditch World Cup team? You know, the, the, we've got the oh, Hockey Roos, the Soccer Roos, wow. the Opals, the Boomers. What's the name of our Quidditch team, our the, national Quidditch oh, team? What about the Potteroos, as in Harry Potter? Nice try. Uh-uh. Uh, so the Quidditch the Trues? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> be, this would have been a good question on notice for us. <laughs> no, no, the whole point was not to give you notice. Oh, I'll give yeah, you a hint. hint. It, is an, it is an Australian magical creature or mythical creature. Oh, the... Um, Tasmanian tiger? No, no, the, the bunyips. Oh, nice guess. But no, it's the drop bears. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Another it's not sport, but we like it. Uh, Joey Jaws. Chestnut is this year's men's winner in the uh, the, the the world hot dog eating contest. <laughs> How many? He extended. It, uh, wait for it. He extended his reign as a champion eater at this annual event, uh, downing a record seventy four wieners and buns in ten minutes. Ten minutes. 
to take home the coveted mustard belt. The bun would be hard, wouldn't it? For an 11th time. I mean, the wiener, yeah. I don't know. But manager what, what's bun. His, yeah, what's his hard. sponsorship arrangements? Does he, That's you know, a very good question. Do, oh, boy, what equipment does he use? Does, does Heinz <laughs> know that water? this is going on? <laughs> Be a dry argument, otherwise. Uh, <laughs> Royal Dalton, I reckon. But <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, cracked the record. The women's the women's record was also set. I think that was uh, seventy four francs and buns. So she took it home for the fifth consecutive year. Apparently, this has been going since nineteen seventy two. So, Brilliant. if you fancy yourself as a bit of a hot dog eater, I suggest you get yourself over to the US uh, for major league eating. Kid you not, that's what it's called, major league eating. And you never know, we might strike an athlete from Major League Eating appearing one day on... Red card, yellow card. Yes, red card, yellow card, where we enjoy bringing back into the spotlight uh, the, the, the doings of athletes and associated sporting people that, uh, that they really wish didn't see the light of day again. Riles, what have you got for us? I have an associated sporting people uh, for you, uh-huh. a person. The uh, Sir Dave Brailsford, who uh, some of you Dave. know as the Dave, yeah, Dave, you know Dave, the driving force behind Team Sky in the Tour uh-huh. de France, uh-huh. and he's hit out at how his team has been treated by the usually genteel French public. Um, they have been, <laughs> they have been yelled at. They have actually been struck. But he wanted mm. to. Well, let me let me give you the quote for the part that really caught his attention and got him in trouble. I don't think spitting has a place in professional sports, personally or in everyday life. But it seems to be the thing that's done here. Yeah, in in France. Mm. Um, yeah, he <sighs> has just been smashed. Sorry, <laughs> a bit culturally Pillar insensitive. Is. Yeah, pillar to post. So uh, yellow, yellow card, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yellow. yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, Jono. Yeah, I've got a couple, if you'll uh, indulge me, Rochi. So firstly, um, Simon Poitovin. Poito. Poito. Former Wallaby great, now a captain of industry. Well, what's he been up to? So he's the managing director of Bell Potter. Oh, yeah. Stockbrokers. Now, I'm going to use a and number of uh, allegedly uh, yes. as, I, as I deal with this one. <laughs> so he is currently in court contesting a five-year ban by ASIC for providing financial services. So he has been banned, okay. but he's contesting that. We're not alleging it just yet. So he's certainly been yet. banned. ASIC alleges that Poido was involved in market manipulation of the share price of a company called Direct Money. Mm. Um, some fairly serious accusations have been levelled at the former Wallaby during mm. these court proceedings. It's actually been put to him that Poitovin asked a colleague to lie for him, basically to get him off the hook in the case, um, which is the allegation. Mm. So I think we'll be watching this one very closely. Would his or her honour be calling him, referring to him as Poito? Poito, I think so, in cross-examination. <laughs> so I think... Um, Perhaps not. Yellow that, card to the extent that um, you know these allegations have been found, he's contesting them. Yeah. But, um, it's, well, the ASIC finding, being banned for five years, that's... Well, Possibly red, but but it might be reduced to yellow on appeal. True, we'll come back. Yeah, okay, interesting. Be judged hands in the ruck. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and yeah. I do have to have an honourable mention to one of our old favourites, Greg, Great White Shark. Norman. Oh, come on! <laughs> I do. We had a World Cup special you last. Been, you've been watching Instagram again. What's I he been have. up to now? So look, it's a. God. I wouldn't say it's fresh off the hot off the mm. press. This one, it's been around for Don't a little while. Stop you. But the shark has posed nude for, yeah, a, for right ESPN's on. body issue. Oh, yeah. Some, Red cards. Some, some photos, Doesn't matter what you say next. Some photos <laughs> have on. been circulated widely on the World Wide Web of shark, all rippling muscles and fake tan, completely Just 
buck Ch- naked, apart from his Calm faithful down. Stetson hat. Calm down, Jono. Posing with a persimmon wood driver and a toy shark. Great. Red, I, I love your work, Red, red, red card for Jono there. <laughs> Just what, what, what makes you think that the tan is fake? Uh, moving <laughs> right along uh, and going back to the NBA, Brian Colangelo, uh, may have pronounced it incorrectly, uh, he stepped down from his position as the president of basketball operations for the Philadelphia 76ers recently in the wake of, uh, well, quite the soap opera, really. Uh, it, um, it transpired that a... It was a polarising figure, uh, has been a polarising figure, the way he runs the team, the way he strategises the team. And uh, there was an appearance on Twitter of not just one, but a number of Twitter accounts that suddenly came to Brian's defence very, uh, very uh, steadily, very uh, passionately. Uh, and Twitter being Twitter, that wasn't clear who these people were. But it transpired that the some of the comments on these Twitter accounts were contained or referred to information that only a very small number of people could know. So it was assumed that Brian was setting up these Twitter accounts, anonymous inverted commas Twitter accounts, to come to his own defence. There was even one tweet that sort of referred uh, to his dress sense. Jono, you'd have liked that. Like, leave him alone. That that collar (laughs) is fashionable, that kind of thing. Anyway, so some IT um, geek out there, run a bit of an algorithm with AI overlay or something like that and uh, narrowed it down enough for them to discover that the owner of these Twitter accounts was not Brian himself, but his wife. Really? Unknowing to Brian, <laughs> so the story goes, unknown so, to Brian, <laughs> allegedly, his wife has gone and set up Twitter accounts, gone into bat for hubby, told you know, the media to back off, told mm. the uh, people within the club Brian. itself, the franchise oh. themselves who didn't like what he was doing to... To nick off, and she was sprung, and uh, Brian has had to step down. Accordingly, Brian's out of a job. Brian is in, Brian is in. T- so I think the, the the wife, Mrs. Brian, Mrs. Colangelo, well, she gets a red card, really, though, doesn't she? Yeah, I think so. Oh, Clear oh, you're fine. You have a supportive partner, and you give her a red card. Gold uh, star to that, her. That's the conundrum. That's the Gold conundrum. Star. Look at the results. Look at the look at what happened, Riles. Look oh, what happens. I suppose. Ah, uh, dear. Look on that really happy note. It's it's time to wrap up the show. It's time to say <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> so. Fare thee well, Jono. See you, Reggie. Uh, Riles, thanks for, thanks for your time. See you later, mate. Thank you all. See you soon. And it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Don't forget, follow us on Twitter at MTJAG Grandstand. That's it for now. Look forward to your company again next month. That's bye for now. <laughs>